We're going to continue looking at the issue here in verse 18, the uh, second part of the verse, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, let's read the, let's read the whole verse. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, we, we began looking here last time and kind of introducing the issue of what it is to be filled with the Spirit, filled, controlled, under the authority of uh, consuming, gripped your life. And what I want to do now in the coming months and years and days and weeks and however long it takes is to, is to look at what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 19, 20, and 21, and so forth here, and down through chapter 6, verse 10, he, Paul describes what it is to have a Spirit-filled lives in the, in, the, in the order that God has established for mankind. And, and in, in, in one, the, the, that order, those institutions of creation... There, the issue of volition, that's, that's verses 19, 20, and 21. Then the issue of marriage, verse 22 here, or yeah, all the way down to, to 33 is marriage. Then out of marriage usually comes a family. So you've got the inst instructions in chapter 6 there, the first four verses about the family. Then usually you, you, you live in a, a, the fourth institution that God institute in Genesis is nationalism. It's government. Uh, puts borders around it for protection around people groups and, and languages and borders and bar cultures, families, Genesis 10. And uh, you see that in verse 5 there with the servants and in verse 9 with the masters. You see that in the culture. So as you work in that, Paul describes for you and I that, hey, as you go live your life, let's live it as who you are in Christ and be filled with the Spirit. You got Ephesians 5. Look over at Colossians chapter 3, kind of where we were last week ending uh, last time, Colossians 3, verse 16. So in Ephesians 5, verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Colossians 3, verse 16, the sister verse here says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. So being filled with the Spirit is equal to letting the word of, I just lost it, sorry. You could tell me. The word of Christ <laughs> dwell in you richly. So being filled with the Spirit is going to be equal with, and, and, and you know math, A equals B, and B equals C, then A equals C, right? Okay, that's as much algebra as you're going to get out of Rick. When they took letters to represent numbers, I said, I'm done. Enough. You know, what do I have to do to graduate? That's all I'm going to do. Okay, I'm done. All right? So when you think about, and we again, we started looking at this last time, and it's important to remember that being filled with the Spirit is equal with letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all things. Because that's how the Holy Spirit works, is he works through his word, through the word. Come back with me to Genesis chapter 1. You see it in the very beginning. No matter where you are in Scripture, on a dispensational nature, so time passed but now are the ages to come, no matter where you are in Scripture, the Holy Spirit never works apart from the word. He always works in conjunction with the Word. So if you ever hear someone say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit, and they're over here doing something that is not in the Word or goes against the Word, then guess what they are not filled with? The Spirit. They're filled with something else. Okay? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the, easy to see here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now you're going to read the first time the Spirit goes to work. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so the Spirit's going to go to work. He's going to go move now. See that? Verse 3, and God said. It's time for the Spirit of God to go to work. And what has to happen? God speaks. The God here is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
John 1, he's a creator. He's the one that spoke it. Okay, God the Father had the plan. He's the general contractor. God the Son, is, he's a general contractor too, but he's hands-on. And the Spirit is doing the work. When God the Spirit wants to move, what has to happen? God has to speak. The Holy Spirit works through his word. So when you come, come back with me to Hebrews chapter 4. When you think about this, and you begin to think about us today, and you begin to think about how we are to be filled with the Spirit. By the way, today's message is titled, A Spirit-Filled Life. You'll see why here in just a minute, I hope, or two, a minute or two, okay? <laughs> when God speaks, the Holy Spirit goes to work, and there becomes an objective reality. I love that term. I heard Dad use it. I wrote it down. I love that term. An objective reality when the Spirit works. When you talk about an objective reality, you're not talking about experience. You're not talking about emotion. You're not talking about an assumption. Rather, it has to do with something that the with the Word of God dwelling in you, settling down in you, and then taking your life and running it, dictating it. And what begins to happen is by faith you simply begin to take a stand on the truth of what God's Word says. And you begin to function that way in the details of life. Paul calls it the obedience of faith. Think about that. The obedience of faith among all the nations, Romans 16, 26. The obedience of faith. You believe it and then obey what it says because what? You believed it. The word, how do you know that you're, you have your sins forgiven and you're seated in the heavenly places forever? How do you know that? The Word of God says it, so we take it and we believe it. How, so then when you get over here in, your, in, your, in, in life, in reality, how does that work then? And how does the Spirit begin to work in our lives? Well, it works in an objective standard outside of you and I. You see, folks, being filled with the Spirit is not talking about some emotion, some hoodly-do thing, some... You know, some experience. You know it's hard to beat people with experience because what begins to happen? Well, I experienced it, so it's got to be true. Do you know what you take? You take the experience and you run it through the sieve of the Word of God to see if it was true or not. See? You hear people all the time here lately talking about end-time things, and you see this happening, so it's got to be this. And No, it doesn't. Actually, it's not, because you and I are still here. The body of Christ is still here. But what do you do? You take that event and you put it through the sieve of the Bible, rightly divided. And then what does it tell you? No, nope, that's Israel, future still. It isn't today. And that's what happens here. That's why the, 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 you test everything with that objective standard of the written word of God. You've got Hebrews 4 by now, right? All right, hold on to there. <laughs> Just kidding. I always got to throw that out there. You guys, you ought to know me by now that we're going to go run to Jeremiah here in just a second, okay? And it's not on your sheet, so don't look. See? <laughs> Hebrews 4, verse number 12. Notice this verse very, very carefully. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's quick. It's powerful. It's, it's, you know, quick, alive, everybody says. But quick is quick. You see, this stuff isn't designed to, to take 20 years to, to develop in your life. It's designed to develop instantly in your life. It's fascinating to me. You take Paul, and you, Paul goes into a neighborhood, into a region, and within two or three months, he has an established local assembly. And you go, well, that could never happen today. Baloney, they had the same distractions that you have today. Instead of 
the football game, they had the gladiator games. Instead of internet and TV, they were down at the arts and the opera and the Shakespeare houses. See, they got the same distractions as you and I. They're people just like you are. But you know what it is? It's something that begins to grip the hearts. And it takes a little longer to grip our heart than it did them. But yet, at the same token, my point is, is it's designed to work quickly, as in fast, and get there. But it's sharper than two edges, any uh, two edges, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow. Notice what it can do. Only the Word of God can carve you up. Philosophy, human viewpoint, can never get it done. You go sit. I, I was sitting there. I was looking at some uh, psychology classes. Couldn't even think of the goofy word. And they're going to, oh, we're going to give you, talk about this in the human mind. And I'm like, human mind, nothing, man. They got nothing on this book. Why, is, why does humanity have its problem? It's a three-letter word, sin. So let's fix the sin problem. Well, how do we do that? We don't do it. He has done it. He's done it, see. You know, you're going to go get a Ph.D. and you got more degrees behind your name than you do temperature. For what reason? Study the word. It's a discerner. It gets in there and it, boom. But notice the rest of that verse. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the what? The heart. You know what Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Oh, boy, you got to look at that one. Come on. I told you we were going there and you thought I was kidding. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. You know, you think you got yourself figured out, you ain't got nothing figured out. It's deceitful. It'll trick you. It'll trick you into thinking that you're living in the new man, you're living where you're supposed to be living, and in reality, you're living in the old sinful nature. It'll trick you. Think about that. You come along and say, man, I am doing, come back to Galatians 5, I'm good, I'm on the right road, and then you come along and you read a passage like Galatians 5 and you go, holy smokes, I ain't even on the right zip code. Look at Galatians 5. You come along and you're sitting there and you think you got your stuff all together and you know what your heart's done? It has tricked you to thinking you're doing right, living right, and then you read a verse like Galatians 5.16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You think everything's going good. You see that? You think you're, being fu- you're filled with the Spirit when you're really just being filled with you. So what do you need? You need an objective standard, don't you? Something outside of you. An objective reality to come along and... Give you the Denozo head slap, you know, and just whack you one time, wake you up. Verse 9, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he lays that all down there. But look at the first one in verse 20. What's that one? Uh-oh, idolatry. That's a bad one. You get down in verse 21, you see that drunkenness? And you thought you were off the hook there. You know, we can get drunk. Uh-uh, it's right there in the list. See, he's, folks, the point is, is the only way to objectively know that you're walking in the Spirit is the objective standard outside of yourself. It's called His Word. And you come along and you read a list like this, or you go over to Colossians uh, 3 there, and he says, you need to put off. <clears throat> I had them. Hang on. It's a list. You need to put off anger, wrath, malice, blaspheme, filthy communication, lying. You need to put off those attitude sins. Who told you that? That objective standard outside of yourself. You see, if you're trusting yourself, all that's going to come is trouble. So, man, when you think, I I always tell myself, man, I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, but I better go read these lists. (laughs) He's got one in Romans 1. He's got one in Galatians. He's got one in Ephesians, two of them and three of them in Ephesians for you. And you better go. And you know what happens? I self-judge real quickly according to the Word of God. And you know what I'm doing? 
Ah, uh, then you call me and say, yeah, Rick, I, I, you know, I got this issue. And I go, man, you're, you're talking to the wrong dude because I got something worse than you got. <laughs> but here's how you're going to fix this. What do we do? We come to the Word of God. We get out of our heads. And we come and we take on his mind and his thinking. And we say, okay, what does the Word say? And let's fix this. Fix ourselves. In thinking about a spirit-filled life, I got to looking for an illustration of it in Scripture. Not out here in the world, because it's fascinating. Scripture does not hide the sins of its heroes. Lays them all out there. There's one figure in all of Scripture that lived his life under the complete control of God the Holy Spirit. Can you guess, tell me who it was? The Lord Jesus Christ. Come over with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. As we have hanging on the back wall, Galatians 2.20, as you know that verse very well, we've looked at it, we've studied it, we talk about it, we quote it, and he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but, the, but, but who? Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live how? By the faith of the Son of God. Here's the faith of the Son of God. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 34. Is, is the Lord Jesus Christ God? Yeah. Is he human? Yeah. Could he do? He, he's the one, John 1, he spoke everything into being. <laughs> okay? But look at John 3 verse 34. For he whom God hath sent... Speak at the words of God. God the Father sent him, didn't he? Yeah. For God hath not, I'm sorry, giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Notice, God the Father giveth not God the Spirit in what? Measure to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father doesn't piecemeal out, doesn't place a limitation on the Spirit in the life of Christ. He's got him without measure. Come over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and look at verse 17. You see, folks, when you think about, we were talking yesterday about the Spirit things and, and, and so forth in the after. Bible study, the after meeting of the Bible study. And you have to think about if God, if the Lord Jesus Christ is 100% humanity, what does he have? He has a spirit, human spirit. He has that. But, he, but so when he goes and does and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, God the Father doesn't withhold the Holy Spirit from him. He doesn't with you. We talked last time about it's not a pieced out thing. It's a boom, you got him all. Luke 4, verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Okay? So the Lord is, he's, a, he's there, he's got the book open. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and so on. See how the Spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. Quoting Isaiah there, 61. The Lord Jesus Christ in his own words says what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit is here. God the Father anointed the Son with the Spirit without any limitations, without any measures. He poured it all on him. Put him on him. He's complete filled, completely under the control of the Spirit of God. Come over with me to Philippians 4. I'm getting somewhere. Just oh, hang on. Philippians 4. I'm sorry, Philippians 2. My bad. Philippians 2. And verse number 5. <laughs> Philippians 2, verse 5. Notice this passage, just, for, just in thinking about our Lord. 
Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul says? I want the same mindset as the Lord has, you have. What's his mindset here? Okay? What's the Lord's mindset? The original grace giver, we call him, right? What's his mindset? You have the same mindset. Now, watch verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, now watch, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became, what did he do? He's doing some things. He's, he's coming down. He's made flesh. He's dwelling among men. But he's becoming obedient unto what? Unto death. The Lord Jesus Christ had the obedience of faith that God, that led him all the way to Calvary. There's something there. By the faith of the Son of God, there's something going on in the Lord's thinking and the Lord's understanding that he became obedient all the way to Calvary. And Paul says, I want you, come over to Hebrews 12, to have the same mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had toward the Word of God, toward what the Father was trying to accomplish, what the plan and the purpose was. And I want you to have the same thinking, the same mindset that led Christ to the obedience of faith that led him all the way to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12. You see, folks, being filled with the Spirit is not just, whoo I felt him, <laughs> you know. It's so, it's, the, it's that objective standard outside of you coming in and gripping your heart as you begin to study and learn. Look at 12.1, Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, that cloud of witness is chapter 11, the hall of faith there. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, this is for the Hebrews. It's not for you and I. But they're to, they're, the, when he says there, let us lay aside every weight, what was waiting on them? Weighty. The old covenant was. Get rid of that old covenant. Let's go to the new covenant. The sin which does so easily beset us. There's that personal sin issues that they were having. Which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before. Let us endure to the end down there. Let's get through the program. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Boy, let's have our eyes set on the prize. <laughs> Who's the prize? He is. Now watch the rest of this verse. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that. Who for the joy that was set before him. Notice how he, notice how the, where the Lord has that obedience of faith. There is something he knew that was going to be accomplished when he went to Calvary. He knew that the plan and the purpose and the will of the Father was going to be accomplished if he goes to Calvary. So you know what he said? Let's go do it. And I'm going to do it with joy. Because I am operating in a sonship, adult status, of knowing, not only knowing what the will of my Father is, but going and delighting in doing it. I'm going to have joy. He had a mind. Come back to chapter 10 of Hebrews. He had a mindset that was bigger than the moment. We're going to go over and look in a minute here, the details of Calvary. And he says he got a bigger mindset than what was just happening right there. Chapter 10. Boy, what a fantastic verse, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, when the Lord comes into the world, what is he going to say? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. What is the Lord, what, notice the Lord's thinking. What does he know? He's coming. He's going to be in the form of a servant. He's going to be laid like sinful men. He's going to carry Abraham's flesh. 
And he says, I'm coming to do. Verse 7, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Where did he find the Father's will in that verse 7? In the volume of the book it's written of me. He's quoting Psalms 40. When he comes, he's born of Mary, does all that, comes in his flesh. You know what he's doing? He says, I'm coming to do Psalms 40. That's what I'm coming to do. The obedience of faith that Christ had was the obedience to the will of the Father that was found in the word of his Father. Come over to John chapter 10. Think about this. When the Lord came, is he God? Yes. Is he human? Humanity? Yes. But he didn't come to do his will. He says, I come to do thy will, Father. It's found in the volume of the book. It's written about me. Boy, what did I tell you? John 8, John 10? Okay. I'm in 18. We need verse 18. John 10, verse 18. You see, folks, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the faith of the Son of God. He didn't just come along and go, okay, we're just doing this. He goes, no, dude, I'm coming to do Psalms 40. He's very specific. John 10, 18. I love this verse. <laughs> no, I, I love all the verses, don't get me wrong. But, man, some of these just hit right in the, hits you good. No man taketh, verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Does he as God have that power? Yes. But that ain't the issue. The rest of the verse is the issue. This commandment have I received of my Father. He says, dude, as God, I can do this all day, but I ain't here to do my will. I'm here to do the will of the Father and the word of the Father. And you know what the Father said I could do? Take it, give it, do it. But I'm doing this by His command. So in the cross, what we begin to see is Jesus Christ executing obedience to the word of his father that obedience unto death when you look at calvary the lord speaks seven times we've studied these out and each one of them is a direct fulfillment of scripture each of them demonstrate the place that the word played in his life, in his thinking, in his mindset. Think about this. Come on over to Luke 23. In his darkest hour, I don't know if you ever thought about that. In his darkest hour, what consumes his thinking, what consumes his mind, was the word of the Father, the word of God. And the word that the Father had given him for this specific hour that he's in. There's seven of them. Three of them are found in Luke. Three are found in John. One's in Matthew and Mark. The first three have a dispensational viewpoint. The middle one deals with the doctrinal issue. And then the last three are, are a devotion uh, application in nature. And all through the events, the first one here is in Luke 23, all through these events, the Lord kept his mind, stayed upon the word, ticking them off as he goes through the events. As things begin to happen, he's ticking down through the, the prophetic scriptures to say, that's done, that's done, that's done. You, you got Luke, right? Run over to Matthew. Oh, what a, sorry. But just go to, run to Matthew 26. You see, folks, he ha, we, we have a life-size illustration here of what it is to be filled with the Spirit, what it is designed to look like, what it is designed to 
to have the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just as a, look at Matthew 26, look at verse 53. Uh, there, the betrayal of Christ has happened. Judas is there, he's kissed him. The servants, uh, uh, Peter's pulled his knife, took off Malchus's ear, the Lord's healed it. He says in verse 53, he's talking to Peter. Uh, verse 52, then Jesus said unto him, put up again thy sword. He's talking to Peter, and he says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Do you not think, Peter, I can call on the Lord, and he'll send 72,000 angels down here? A legion is 6,000 times 12. You've got 72,000. Send them down here. And the issue here, Peter, isn't my deliverance. The issue is, verse 54, but how? Then shall the scripture be what? Fulfilled. That thus it must be. You see, Pete, come back to Luke now. You see, Peter, the issue isn't my deliverance. The issue is the fulfillment of the word of God. That's the issue. And you know what it says I got to do? I got to go die. I got to be buried, and I got to rise again the third day. That's what the scriptures say. He's hanging, darkest hour. You know where his mind went? Oh, Father, deliver me from this present evil danger. Woohoo! Not at all. Oh, dear God, if it's just your will in my life, not at all. You know what he says, Luke 23, 33? First saying, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, by the way, it's the only place you know it's called Calvary, all the new Bibles butcher it, they move it, they remove it, or they footnote it that it shouldn't be there. There they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You see that first one? Father, forgive them, for they know not what... You know, the Lord is no longer in a position to forgive their sins. He could do it earlier. Now he is the sacrifice. He can't do it. So you know what he does? He calls on Isaiah 53, verse 12. That's the reference. Look over there, hold on, stick something in that. Isaiah 53, verse 12. It's critical to see this. Isaiah 53, verse number 12. He says, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You know what he does? He calls, he makes intercession, intercessions for the transgressors. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. First thing out of his mouth. If you go back, hold, stick something in Isaiah, just so you have it because we're going to flip back there. Look, go back to Luke 23, verse 34. Notice the first word, then. When they had done their worst to him, they have beat him. They, the Romans have taken the cat of nine tails and ripped his flesh from the bone, scourged him. The Jews have come in and they've beat on him and they spit on him and they've entreated him wrongly. He's hanging there. They've nailed him to the cross. They've put him up in the air. And you know what he says? Deliver me. Woohoo! No, he says, Father, Isaiah 53, 12, let's do that one. Forgive him. In the moment where they were, think about what the Jews had done. They had caused him to be cursed. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. They have caused him to be in a position where he can't do anything. He's cursed. He can't deliver them. When they look at him and say, oh, you're the king, come on down. He couldn't because the law says he was cursed. He hung there. Man, he didn't bow his head and go, oh, woe is me. He said, no. What does the word of God say? What did the word of my father say in this hour I am to do? And he did it. Second one, quickly, Luke 23. Boy, I tell you what, it's hard not to preach all of them, but otherwise then we'd be here for seven hours. I can do it, by the way, okay? Yeah. All right? Luke 23, here's number two, verse 39. 
Luke 23, 39. And one of the male factors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man have done nothing amiss. The thieves on the cross, right? That's whatever. The two male factors. The Picture the two factions of Israel, apostate Israel, the rejectors, the little flock, the believing remnant, those that have believed on him. And what does he do in verse 42? And he said unto Jesus, Lord, I'm, no, Lord, he knows who he is. Lord, get me down off of here and get me water baptized so I can join you in the kingdom. Didn't say that at all, does he? He says, Lord, remember me. Those kingdom saints behind the altar, they cry, how long are you going to let us go, God? How long? Remember the blood of your people. He says, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. He knew what was coming. And what does the Lord say? He says, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know what he's just fulfilled? Isaiah 53, verse 12. He's numbered among the transgressors. He says, that's done. Next verse. John, chapter 19. John 19. Next verse. Think about this. He's hanging. He's up there several hours. He's peeking them through, dancing them down through. Luke 19. Uh, what did I tell you? John 19. Number next. Verse 25. This one is the one that's the most misunderstood by everybody. <laughs> but it's one of the blessed, one of the one of the 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 most wonderful pictures of that of what consumed the mind of the Messiah. 29 verse 25, sorry. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. The three Marys are there. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. He looks down and he sees Mary, his mom. He looks over and talks to John. And he says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. What's he doing? Why is he doing that? Why is he saying that? Hold on to John. Come back to, to Isaiah. But come to Isaiah 52. Because the end of Isaiah, as it's beginning to introduce chapter 53, says something about the Messiah. Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. You see... How the Messiah is going, what the Messiah is going to do, he's going to deal how? Prudently. Come over to Proverbs, or back to Proverbs, chapter 23. Think about that. He's going to be thoughtful. He's going to deal prudently. He's going to be thoughtful about it in his thinking, and he's going to think some things down through. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 22. 23, 22. Hearken, I think this verse is what went through his mind, other than Isaiah 52, okay? Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Think about that. Think about here he is on the cross, and who's he thinking about? His mom. There she is. Go back to John. John 19. There she's standing, and he's thinking prudently about someone's got to take care of her. Now, Mary, you study Mary. She's no damsel in distress. She's a tough lady. She really is. She's not just sitting over there going, you know, Mika's a wildflower. and She's tough. So he's not thinking about she can't pay and take care of herself. He's thinking about Proverbs saying what? Take care of mom when she's old. He's on the cross. He's thinking about his mom. 
Even his death, he's going to take care of mom. John, take care of her. There they are. By the way, if you look there in verse 27, he takes her into his own home. He does it. But there's something bigger going on, isn't there? Because he called her what? Woman. You know? And everybody goes, oh, look at how harsh that is. No. Not when you know that Mary is a picture of the nation of Israel. And we don't have the time to go run the verses. And you know that John, the disciple whom he loved, is a picture of that little flock. And what he's doing is in the picture, he's taking the nation of Israel and Mary. And he's, he's moving her into the care of the little flock, John. And he's looking and he says, okay, nation, the little flock's going to take care of you. And you're going to take care of the little flock. And there's a transfer of care that's happening here in the picture. A movement. You see, folks, that's being diligent. That's being prudent. That's thinking about what needs to be done because I'm leaving. You follow that? All in the fulfillment of the scripture. Proverbs, Psalms, Isaiah. There it is. Number four, the middle one, Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Here's the one in the middle. Man in the middle. Here he is, Matthew 27. We're not down to this part yet, but it's here in our Matthew study, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does he say that? Where is he at? He's in the middle of the raging battle with the adversary. Come with me to Psalms 22. Here's where this is from. By the way, direct quote. Again, Psalms 22, verse 1. Here is what's on it. He's in the middle of that spiritual warfare with the adversary. That battle on the cross for the souls of men. And you know what he says? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. By the way, he says it with a loud voice. If you're going to speak with a loud voice, you can't have your head down here like that. You blow out the internet. But you know, like that. You got to be up, heads erect, diaphragm moving, air pumping. You see, he's aware of what's going on. He's in full control of, the, of his capacities in his body, even though he's been beaten to a bloody pulp. You stay there in Psalms 22, and you read down through the rest of that passage, and you begin to see the mindset of Christ while he's on the cross. He's going to say, I am, verse 6, but I am a worm and no man. You know what he is? He's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's been made sin there. And right in the middle of it, he's taken on your second death. And he's dying the pain and the anguish and the, ang and the, uh, the, the anger and the fierceness of the wrath of God against sin. That's why God has forsaken him. That's why the Father isn't looking at him. That's why the Father's... Why? Because a holy, God cannot, a holy God cannot look on sin, and he's been made sin. And he says, why? where are you? Why did you leave me? The bulls of Bashans are around me. I'm being dragged down into the mire. Boy, what a description of what death and hell looks like and what the lost go through when they get pulled down into hell. And you know what he did? He did it all in obedience of faith. Come back to John 19, number next. Whew, I'm, I'm number five. We're almost done. John 19. You see, folks, when Christ lived, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, what did he do? He says, you know what? I'm in an hour not the hour of power, but I'm in an hour here. And he says, what does the word of my Father say that I'm to be doing in this hour? And let's do that. John 19, here's the fifth saying. Verse 28. After, these, after this, 
Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I th think about that verse. <laughs> Here he is. He's just transferred the care of the nation into the hands of the believing remnant. And he says, okay, let's see. Everything's done. That one's 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 done. That oh, whoop, whoop, whoop. We missed Psalm 69, verse 21. Now, how in the world am I going to get them to give me gall, give me vinegar? So what does he say? I thirst. And you know what happened? Verse 29, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When his saying, I thirst, caused them to fulfill Psalm 69, verse 29. See that? Because you know what he did? He ran through the verses, and he said, oh, well, we missed that one. And he says, let's get that one done. And the only way that I can get those guys to reach down and to send up the vinegar, Psalm 69, 21 says, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. He says, you know what, I, I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to say something to make them move. <laughs> so he says it. Verse 30, John 19, verse 30. Here's the next. Now when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the go. When he says it is finished, what was finished? All that the scripture needed to be fulfilled. That's what was done. Sin payment was done. But more importantly, all that the scripture had required was what? Done. It was fulfilled. Come back with me to Psalms 22. You've got to see this. And I know we're, we're at noon and I'm supposed to be done, but you can give me 10 minutes today. And I'll gladly repay you back next Tuesday. Look at Psalms 22. Psalm, if, you, if you're old enough to remember that, then, then we're good. So look at Psalms 22. And verse 31, Psalms 22, 31. At the end of the great Psalm 22, the first 21 verses are all about Calvary. And verse 22 to the end is all about glory, resurrection, and the kingdom. He says, verse 31, Then shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath, what, done this. Revelation 22, 6, it is done. It's all done. He did everything. And he did it right where, come back to, to, to John 19, he did it right where he's supposed to be and how it was to be done. It was all accomplished. It was all done. John 19, verse 30 says, he bowed his head and gave up the, bowed his head. Only then did he succumb to the physical treatment that he had. Now, the last saying is in Luke, Luke 23. Luke 23. He says, it is finished. All the things have been ticked off. I'm in complete control. And I'm... Heading home, Lord. Here I come, Father. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The last cry. He says, it is finished. The work's done. The scriptures are fulfilled. Father, here I come. I'm coming home. He's quoting Psalms 31, verse 5 directly. Psalms 31, verse 5. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That last cry, loud voice, Projected out there for all to hear. 
the voice of victory. It is finished. All, all the scriptures have been fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ, we'll come back to Galatians 2. The Lord Jesus Christ in all his life, especially we see it at Calvary. In the moment of great crisis, he rests his faith in the word of his Father. He gave his life all in accordance to the will of his Father. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. He knew death couldn't hold him, because who is he? He's God. Think about that. He, he knew death couldn't hold him because of who he was, but you know what he also knew? Death couldn't hold him because the word of his Father said it wouldn't. So his conf I, I think about Peter. He says, we're an eyewitness account, but you know what? We have a more sure word of prophecy. The, the son says, I know because I can lay it down, take it up, I'm good to go. But you know what? My, the word of my father much better says, up from the grave he arose. I'll be back. The Lord Jesus Christ was a living he was living a spirit-filled life. He was living under the complete control of God's word. And you know what Paul says? We need to live like that. Galatians 2.20, I had you go there so you read it. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the what? The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How am I to live the same way Christ lived? How did he live? In complete dependence upon the word of God to him. So how do we live? Same way. Having the Spirit fill our lives. You know what, folks? We need to know it. Like he knew it, talking about the scripture. And we need to depend on it like he did. We do that. You know what begins to happen? We begin to be filled with the spirit. Greatest illustration I could ever come up with is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what he is? He's the perfect man. And he illustrated the faith of the son of God. And he laid it in. Well, what a, what a high mark for you and I to look at and say, you know what? He did it. I can do it because he lives in me. And it's his life that I now go live. Our dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the folks, for their patience, for the instructions here, and for the wonderful picture of you and what you accomplished and how that that is designed to be brought now into our lives. And we're to live as how you lived. And we'll just give the praise and the honor and the glory and everything that we say and that we do to that regard and to that mission of having the word of God be what completely controls our lives, our thinking, our all in all. In your name we pray. Amen.